While you're turning to that, I just want to read a quote. Uh, It's not on the screen, but I just want you to kind of lean into this quote a little bit. It says this, Life is a short and fevered rehearsal for a concert we cannot stay to give. Just when we appear to have attained some proficiency, we are forced to lay our instruments down. There's simply not enough time to think, to become, to perform what the constitution of our natures indicate we are capable of. It's from A.W. Tozer. It's a book that I've read a long time ago. But basically what it's saying is this. It's simply saying that no matter how high or low life gets, at the end of the day, life is a short rehearsal for what we're going to do in eternity. And I know sometimes we look at our life and, you know, maybe some of us are like, you know, Pastor, I am 16 years old. (laughs) I got, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life yet. Or maybe you're here and you're in the latter stages of your life and you're in a different place. It is such a small portion. It doesn't matter if you live to 110 years old. It is such a small portion of eternity. One of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me about has been the expectations in my life. All month long we're talking about four or five expectations that we need to anchor ourselves to in 2019. Last week we talked about hope. And what it's like to have hope in the promises of God. What it's like to have hope in the purpose of God. And that we are to wait for this hope. Uh, Today, I've entitled the message, Bold Expectations. Before we read the scripture in Acts uh, chapter 27, verse 27 and 39, I want to kind of give you context as to what is happening in the book of Acts. How many of you guys like stories? Anybody like stories? I love stories. In fact, one of the things that I love about the book of Acts is the entire thing is in story form. In fact, you can read this uh, book of the Bible all the way through. It probably won't take long. It probably will take an hour and a half if you're extremely slow, maybe two. Uh, but if you read it all together, it's like got this narrative of what God is doing in the early church. It's this model of what God was doing uh, through the Holy Spirit after he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit was beginning to move on earth and his church began to happen. And in Acts chapter 27, Paul makes this simple statement. In fact, it's actually not Acts chapter 27. It's actually Acts chapter 19, about eight chapters before. He makes this simple statement, I must visit Rome. That was the goal for uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. Well before Acts chapter 27, that was his goal. I must visit Rome. You know, it may be something like on a day like today, I must visit Jamaica. I gotta get out of this cold, right? Right, now's a good time. Uh, Paul says, I must visit Rome. That is the goal. That is the plan. That is the destination. You might even say that is his expectation. 
So Paul, a Roman citizen, and not like, unlike a lot of people who want to make their pilgrimage to a vacation destination or somewhere warmer um, during this time of year uh, and, and kind of get away from the cold, Paul says and has a desire to go and see the capital city of the Roman Empire. See, he also wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. So Paul says, I must visit Rome. I kind of like Paul. He kind of likes to say things and he meant it. And it was part of his heart and part of what God was doing inside of him. And he just made bold proclamations. I like that. It wasn't just the spiritual things. It's like God is leading me to Rome, so I must go. He didn't say, well, if it's good, if it's Lord's will, let me pray about it, see if I can fundraise some money and go. He's like, no, I must go to Rome. So now fast forward nine chapters into Acts chapter 27, 28, and you'll notice, you'll notice right away that Paul is making his way to Rome. In fact, in Acts chapter 28, he reaches Rome. But when you look at the chapters between 19 and 28, from when he said, I must visit Rome, to where he gets to Rome, it was not that easy. In fact, it only takes a few minutes to read from Acts chapter 19 to 28. If you have a chance this afternoon or sometime this week, just read it. But it's incredibly easy to see that Paul did not see how God was going to get him to Rome. He must have thought, in fact, if it was going to be an easy ride, it was going to be a cruise ship, first class tickets for an apostle to get to his destination. That God told him he's going to get to. He just thought that people are going to give him loads of direction and money. And favor was going to be on his way. But that was not true. In fact, when you look at the chapters, there was a citywide riot. An assassination plot. A trial. And when Paul says he must visit Rome, I wonder in the midst of all this where he was like, Okay, God, what is going on? See, Acts chapter 27, verse 27 and 39, we read about Paul in, right before he gets to Rome. He gets on a cargo ship, imprisoned and chained. On his way to Rome. How many guys know when God tells you something, a lot of times it ain't easy. You know, it's funny about God's promises. Everybody wants God's promises. In other words, the destination. But they really don't want the journey. It's usually the journey that filters out the boys from the men, the girls from the women. And somehow in our life, as we press into what God is saying, we tend to have a place of living Maybe of regret of the things we haven't done that God asked us to do. The things that we are excited about that we did do and we move forward to. But I want us to declare 2019 to be a year of bold expectations 
that we have the expectation that no matter what we go through this year, that God is going to lead us through it. That if he says you are to go to Rome, that you are not to expect how to get there, but just to say yes to Jesus. That is our job. Let's stand and read God's word. I'm going to do a little, something a little different today. Acts chapter 27, 27 to 39. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But it says this, on the 14th night, Paul says, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that there was water that was 120 feet deep. A short time later, soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against a rock, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Come on, that's desperate. <laughs> You're like, God, I need you. In an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. They were trying to pretend they were going to lower some anchors from the boat, but they were trying to get out, you know. Let's leave the ship. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. I want you to underline that. Unless the men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. I mean, there was no plan B. We're going down. Let's get on the lifeboat. All right, let's cut the lifeboats away. Said nobody ever when you're in trouble. We're in a little bit of debt. Let's dip into our savings. No, let's give our savings away to a missionary in Asia. Said nobody ever. Our kids are not having discipline in their life, right? Some of y'all are like, well, I need to take on. We've got to show them what's up. I don't care if they're 16 years old as long as you're staying in this house, <laughs> right? But the Lord is saying, love them through the stage, even when it's hard. Said not a lot of people. <laughs> Verse 33 says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. <laughs> this is just weird. They're in the middle of a storm, and now he's like, hey, get rid of the lifeboat, and now eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't, gotten eat you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. There's some glimpse, there's some hope. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged in the midst of the craziness and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there was 276 of us on board. Can you imagine that many people? I mean, imagine if the entire building 
plus more people of New Song was on a ship. Paul's brave. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Now check this out. Verse 39. When daylight came. Man, I love scripture. It's all these little things you got to catch. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So turn to your neighbor and say, they say, prayed for daylight. And you can be seated. You can be seated. Come on. Prayed for daylight. See, sometimes you need to drop an anchor and pray for daylight. Sometimes you have to make a decision to raise your expectation from mediocrity to something that's really bold in the midst of the storm. See, if you have an anchor, if you're you're going to anchor a boat, you better make sure the rope And the anchor of the boat is long enough so that the anchor hits bottom. If it doesn't hit bottom, it is no good. So the anchor has to go deep enough. Last week we talked about Jesus is our anchor. How many of you guys would say that Jesus is our anchor? Amen? Can you declare that in this place? That Jesus is my anchor? Amen? But what happens if the expectation or the rope or the chain that's holding the anchor isn't long enough for the anchor of Jesus to get to the bottom of our heart? What if we declare every Sunday and every day and we're fasting and praying right now and we're living life according to the scripture But we don't let the anchor of Jesus get deep enough into our heart and our souls because our expectation is short. See, sometimes we don't allow Jesus to go into the deep places of our heart. Sometimes Jesus, the anchor that we declare that he is, sometimes... He can't get to places that he wants to go to. And sometimes we, we have this stance in life where we're saying, God, I, I'm doing everything I can do to be near you, close to you, and do your will, but I'm still being tossed through and fro in the storm. I believe it's because the anchor of Jesus isn't deep enough into your heart. And the only way to make the chain and the rope longer is actually to go ahead and increase the expectation of what he can do in your life. That is what holds this anchor of Jesus. In fact, Jesus will never do what you don't want him to do. The Holy Spirit will never move how you don't want him to move. 
If you say, don't go here, he'll just be like, it's your choice. If you say, Jesus, you can have nine of these things, but not uh, the other ten, he won't go to the ten. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's gentle. He ain't going to force on you anything. In fact, when sometimes you know, I love uh, getting uh, filled with the Spirit. I love, I'm Pentecostal through and through. And I love uh, when people are exuberant in their faith. I was raised Anglican, so it was definitely strange when I first started experiencing uh, this. And I don't do it a lot because I just feel like I'm moving as, as, as God is telling me to do and move forward. But when people get exuberant, sometimes it's out of order. And I always tell, I can always sense when it's out of order. It's when it is forced. The Holy Spirit never forces himself on anybody. In other words, you don't have to make him come down like the prophets of Baal. (laughs) He's already here. And so a lot of times I just tell people, you be you and you be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So if he's asking you to take a lap around here, go ahead. Just don't get on the stage. (laughs) If he's asking you to be calm, collected, and cool, and kneel in the presence of God, do it. There's no one way. You know, sometimes we need to allow those expectations to go to places that we don't even know exist. The places that we have erased from our memory, the places that we have shoved away, and we don't even, it's like, the, it's like the, we have a third floor in our Shaker Heights home. It's almost a 100-year home. And really, the truth is, unless there's a guest over, nobody ever goes up there. <laughs> You know, that's where the guests stay. And we want to keep the dog out of there, you know, so he doesn't do his business up there where he shouldn't. No one go by there, right? But the reality is sometimes the places of our heart, we have to be careful. We have to open it all up and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, show me where your anchor needs to go. Show me the places I don't even know about, like my third floor that I rarely visit. Right? Show me that I need to go up there and make sure that the roof isn't leaking. Show me up there that everything's clean before the next guest comes in. We have to pray that. So, so many times we have expectations, but we don't have sanctified expectations. What do I mean by that? How do you have sanctified expectations? Paul knew this. When he said, I must visit Rome, he knew what sanctified expectations meant. And it's this. It's to align his expectation with God's plan for his life. So many of us, we have an expectation, but we don't have sanctified expectations. In other words, we haven't taken our expectation and said, God, I have this expectation for you to move and for you to do great things in my life and through my life and all around me, but I need to align it to your will. That's the difference. See, that's the difference between good and great. That's the difference between walking in joy and just taking it like a man because you're a Christian And life's not going well. 
That's the difference when, when you get into a situation and there's no hope. You walk in there and there's hope. Why? Because your expectations are aligned to God's will in the circumstance. Otherwise, all you're going to do all the time is say, God, take away the pain. Take away the discomfort. Take away the stuff. And God's saying, I've got something for you. You said you want to go to Rome. I'm getting you to Rome, maybe not in the way that you want to go, but I'm getting you to Rome. You know, a lot of times when I pray for New Song, this has been my prayer. God, New Song has always wanted to be a church that reaches the masses because we want to bring all nations together and we want to reach all people, that everybody's welcome. What if this was the path? See, that's when it gets tricky. What if this was God's will? Would we say yes to it? In our own personal lives. I remember years ago, Audrey and I, um, we, we wanted to do great things for the ministry. And we got married and bought a house and we were working in a large church. And I never wanted to preach. Never. I wanted to lead worship. In fact, uh, years before then, I had a few offers, and I told them, like, I'm never going to preach. I actually said that. <laughs> Can you believe that? And uh, I turned it down because I wanted to lead worship. And I was traveling, doing my thing. And I remember that one uh, fall where a pastor came and said, hey, I want you to go ahead and um, take over the young adult ministry. This was years ago, or a decade ago. And I was like, no, I don't want to take over the young adult ministry. Who wants to preach? I really don't. But he's like, you know, just do it. And, and really, to be honest, he forced me to. You know? And I jumped in, and I remember just, it was three people. It was really a small group. Actually, it was eight, and we dropped to three. Praise God for growth, right? And so I'm like, let's just start this in my house. It's a small group. It's a house group. And it's a very large church, but the young adults were not doing good at that time. At that time, And so Audrey and I, we were getting people into our home. And I remember thinking, God's hand is on this. This is weird. I didn't know how to do marketing. I didn't know how to do, you know, the way things look or programming or systems or structure. Or, I really, at that time, haven't dove deep enough to find my voice in ministry even. And yet God was doing miracles time and time again. One day in a few months, I remember we were, uh, we were having a service and I decided years ago, over a decade and a half ago, that we were going to do videos in service and nobody was doing stuff. <laughs> and we were going to have a shortened 15-minute altar call. I mean, my goodness, back then, if you were Pentecostal, and if you didn't do a 45-minute altar call, you are not spirit-filled, you know what I mean? So I was like real trendy, you know, 15-minute altar call, and we were going to be done our service in a certain time, and we were meeting, and we were making enough stuff. We didn't have a budget, so we would take videos off of YouTube with a watermark on it <laughs> and play it. And uh, I remember one week where like 26 first-time guests walked in. 
And I remember thinking, what are we supposed to do with these people? I wasn't even properly, like, I didn't even know what to do as a pastor back then. I was just like, you just kind of say hello and tell them to come back next week. You know, let's go for coffee, you know. And I remember speaking into my, the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, I will move according to the expectation that is in your heart and life. Within a few months, that young adult ministry was over 100 people. And here's the deal. In the midst of that, God said, hey, I know you want to lead worship and stuff. I want you to put that down. I said, well, God, I mean, you, you trained me for so many years. I've done this. I know music. I've been around. What about my network? What am I supposed to do? I want you to lay it down. And I want you to go ahead and leave what you just built. What do you do when God asks you to do something like that? What do you do when you're moving up and the trajectory of your life is like this and God's like, uh-uh, go ahead and take a right. I'll take you to your destination, but it's not how you think I'm going to take you to your destination. See, some of us need to get that in our spirit today, in our soul, that God is the ultimate prize. What we do is not the destination. What we do for him is not the destination. His will is our destination. His direction is our destination. When we are patiently doing his will and saying yes to when he says yes, no to when he says no, we are on the right path. We have to sanctify our expectations. That started the journey for me leaving the worship ministry. And I laid it before the Lord. It was so awkward. Next couple of years, we went and helped launch a campus for another church and do technology and learn programming. It's funny how God works. Everything that I said, I didn't know what to do with people in that church. And I did. With the hundred people I did, I, I just going around, they're making smoothies before service and hanging out at a burger joint after and everyone's just in small groups naturally and, and I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on. In fact, there'll be some altar calls Well, I will dismiss the service, worship team will be up here and then people would still not leave. How awkward is it when the pastor is the first one to leave? See, God knew that. And so he took me to the next church where he taught me all the stuff that I needed to know to help me for go from A to B to C to D to assimilate people and to do follow-up and to learn about stuff and to reach people that are far from God. See, without me getting into a place of laying down what I thought was his plan for my life, I would not be in the will of God. This is the same expectation, I believe, that got us to Cleveland. This is the same expectation if you're walking with the Lord. God has placed you in this great city for a reason. It's time to sanctify that expectation. It's time to take that expectation and say, God, supercharge this thing. So that as long as I'm here, 
And as long as I'm in this city, and as long as you've given me breath, everything that I am is yours. Everything that I hold is yours. And it's bigger than church and the building of church. It is about fulfilling the kingdom of God and the vision he has. Amen? So we are to align your expectations with God's plan. So this year, I want us to make four declarations. You guys ready? Four declarations to sanctify expectations in your life. I believe these four expectations are going to help you sanctify your expectations to align with God's will for your life. The first is this. His ways are higher. Come on. His ways are higher. Do you know what higher means? I want you to look up right there. We have a second floor. Okay? Sometimes we send people up there to count. Okay? When you can count from up there, you can see everything. In fact, I've taken a couple of pictures from up there. When we got the new chairs in a few months ago, I mean, it looked so nice, all the colors, right? Did you know there's three different colors that you're sitting on? There's a brown, gray, and black, right? So the, the reason why it seems like it's a little more full all the time is because we chose three colors. It messes with our eyes. Did you know that design can do that? That you can have 20 people in here seated, and it looks a little packed because of the variation in colors, when you're up there, you can see that. Be like, wow, the room's empty, but it looks full. That is God's vision. We don't have that vision. God is sovereign. We are not. See, in verse 9 to 12 in this chapter, verse 9 to 12, Paul says, much time had been lost. He's being forced and drug around uh, the Mediterranean He's being forced and drug around. He says, much time had been lost, he says. And sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned these guys even before the storm came. Man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo. He didn't say to them. (laughs) And to our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on. The majority (laughs) decided that we should sail on. You know what the thing about God's sovereignty is? It is not a democracy. It's actually one person telling us one thing to do. And we don't like it as Americans. We should have a committee before we do this. Before the will of God happens in my own life, let me go talk to the pastor. Let me go talk to sister so-and-so and and brother so-and-so. How dare the Holy Spirit tell me what to do? So let me go get a confirmation from my best friend or my spouse if this is the will of God for my life. That is not sanctified expectations. That is us trying to slow down the process so we don't get uncomfortable. 
But God is a sovereign God. He's a God beyond our thinking. His ways are higher than our thinking. And we need to accept that and say, God, you are smarter than me. You are wiser than me. Your ways are higher than mine. No matter what I have or do or my experience has said, I hold on to the word of God. And it says that you are a sovereign God. Notice in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food. Come on somebody who's fasting right? You don't have to raise your hands. You're about ready to eat all the time. You don't even care if it's 2.30. I mean, you're probably at midnight, right before midnight, because you're fasting, you know, all night, all the way till noon. Maybe you're like cramming in the carbs so you can survive for the next 12 hours, right? Notice Paul being led by the Spirit of God and knowing that he is a sovereign God. Notice what he says. After they had gone a long time without food, in verse 21, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. This is verses later, Paul saying, hey guys, remember that democracy where the majority said we should sail on? And everybody thought it was a good idea. How's your stomach feeling right now? And isn't that true in our own lives, right? Where we go so desperate only when it's almost too late. And we're really hungry and everything's so messed up. That's when we're like, okay, God. Okay, okay, I'm going to finally give in, give in to you, God. I'm going to finally say yes to your plans. And then we wonder why the ship's about to explode. When all along the Spirit of God's saying, just say yes to me. Just say yes to my expectations. Just trust me. Just say yes To me, Isaiah 55, 9 says, As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is such a humbling and such a relieving place to be. The will of God, the sovereignty of God, that it's not all on me, that you're not forcing things to happen. You know, there's situations in our own lives that we want to take into our own hands, amen? We want to fix. But God's saying, let him think about those things. Let him go ahead and be someone for you that you think you need. The things that we need to be fixed right now. I want those ramen noodles in 30 seconds right now. Some of you guys waiting in front of your microwave, and it's like 15 seconds, and you can't walk away. You're just sitting there like 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 10 and a half. I mean, what? that's what it looks like. We always want things fast, but God says that we need to discover God's purpose in our story. The story has a thread through it. Would you let the Spirit of God go ahead and put the needle through your life and keep stitching? You don't want your clothes 
not stitched all the way. Well, sometimes, I guess nowadays, you got jeans with holes in it and stuff, and it's cool, right? You pay a lot more for holes in your jeans. Who thought that was going to happen? It has happened, right? We need to discover God's purpose in our story. And that leads me sometimes to a place of saying to God, yes, I trust you. I know it's difficult to, to trust you right now, but I trust you. I know it's hard to, for me to trust you right now, but I trust you. I know it's hard for me to let go, but I give this to you. The second thing we are to do to declare in 2019 over our expectations to sanctify them is to recognize that God has a deeper purpose. Now, here's why this is different from just discovering God's purpose for your, for your life. It's because of what happens in verse 22 to 25. I want you to read with me. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Paul, with 276 people on the boat, is absolutely preaching crazy. The thing is going down. Storms are happening. A hurricane's happening. In the midst, and he keeps giving instructions that are so opposite to reality, opposite to logic. He keeps, I mean, I'm telling you, sometimes um, I get around folks like this, and I'm, I'll be the first one to say, Can you keep it down, bro? We're trying to survive here, and you're trying to tell us all kinds of things that it doesn't matter, we're gonna die. He says this in verse 20, last night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong, <laughs> he is so contentious, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. You talk about a powerful person in the kingdom of God. That when he discovered that God has a deeper purpose, his deeper purpose rescued 276 people from dying. See, we are not just called to discover our purpose. We're not just called to live sanctified lives and give our hearts to God. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and everybody else can go to H-E-L-L. We are called to deepen our understanding of the purposes of a God because our purpose is attached to other people. I want you to look to your left and look to your right. Do you know that your purpose is attached to each person here? Do you know the fact that when you're doing sound there, guys, Kunle and the rest of the team back there, that you're attached to a deeper purpose? You know, Sonny, when you're serving the cafe and doing things that nobody sees, Eric, when you're cleaning the bathrooms and when you're putting up the flag, when guys, when you guys are showing up here at 8 o'clock and other people are working during the week, and know your purpose is attached to hundreds, maybe tens, hundreds, thousands, 10,000 people. Who knows? 
that's the difference between just discovering it and sitting back and getting a deeper understanding of knowing that God has a purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things, who works it out? God works out things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. This is what that scripture teaches. That no matter what happens, you can say, God's got a deeper purpose. And it's going to be all right. The ship's about to break. That's okay, folks. Angel of the Lord told me, stood beside me. I can't speak for you guys because I serve him and you don't, right? But I just want you to know that you're all going to survive because I'm here. (laughs) That's how Christians should walk into their workplaces. That's how Christians should walk into hard family situations. That's how Christians and followers of Jesus should walk in with faith and say, I am the game changer, not because of me, but because of who I represent. Amen? That's the difference. See, we can live nominal Christian lives and you will get to heaven. It's true. But at the end of the day, there is purpose that you're missing out on if you're just sitting back. And here's the reason why. It's because God's process isn't linear. Okay, I know I'm using some big words today. I apologize. But it's not linear. It's not A to B to C to D to E and F. Right? It's not 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. God's process is all over the map. You cannot keep up. If you do, you're going to lose sleep. And trust me, with the amount of gray hair I have, I have learned. Give it to God. (laughs) Let him handle it. I declare that all the time, Romans 8, you know, 28, I always say that over, and we know, I know, that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called him, who love him and are called according to his purposes. I have a crazy conversation. I know. That all things, God. I, sometimes when it's crazy and you wake up and you're like, get out to the driveway like this morning, come on somebody, and you go and you're like, I'm about to wake up early, and you get to the snowblower, snowblower, snowplow, whatever, and you get to go open it up, you're like, oh my goodness, I have no gas. <laughs> and we know. That in all things, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, I, I'm not joking this morning. I have to share this with you. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail. It's a little funny story. I'm getting out, you know, I've got to get to the Orange Campus and print out these notes and things and, and get ready for this morning and then drive here. As I was pulling out of the driveway, I saw all the snow in the backyard, you know, because our driveway is in the back. And... Uh, I was pulling out. I went all the way to the end of the driveway, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to go move your wife's car and turn it around. I said, God, it's cold out there. (laughs) I mean, it's snow. It's all snow anyways. It's like, you know, six inches, ten inches. Who cares? It's, It's a lot of inches. She can figure it out. And I said, I can call her. 
He said, no, you need to do it. And guess what I said? And we know that in all things, I'm just kidding. I, I did not say that. I listened to the Holy Spirit, and I went and moved her car <laughs> so that she was facing the driveway this way so she didn't have to back up through the driveway. Amen? See, God doesn't need all these big things. He begins to change your life in the small things as well. And what's, what's bigger, me moving the car or me making sure that I'm still connected to the Holy Spirit? What's the bigger miracle? This is what Jesus said when he said, hey, what's bigger miracle, me to heal this blind person or to me to say that this person's sins are forgiven? This is where we need to live, a deeper purpose. See, there's no plan B in the kingdom of God. There's only plan A. And see, faith is aligning your life with the promises of God so that your expectations are sanctified. So when you don't have faith, it's not in your notes. When you don't have faith, it's basically saying, God, I align my life with the promises that you have for me so that my expectations are sanctified. The third declaration, the, th- the third one of four, is this. The odds are stacked in your favor. Come on, somebody. You ought to get a little excited about that this morning. The odds of victory are stacked against your favor. Oh, not against. For you. They are for you. You know, so many times we act as though we're missing out. We act as though we're the ones on the losing team. We are winners. Do you understand what I'm saying? Christians are winners. Now, I'm talking about sports. You know, everyone relax, right? Someone's losing and someone's winning. What I'm saying is no matter what happens in this life, guys, if you have Jesus, you're on the winning side. Verse 30 says this, Paul, he says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. I like this. I love Paul's response. They were pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the boat. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Unless you stay with God's plan for your life, You cannot be saved unless you recognize that it is what it is, that plan A is what it is. And I know that things happen in life. Look, I don't want to take away from that. I know the enemy attacks. I know that people say things. I know circumstances come against us, health issues and all that kind of stuff. But I am telling you, and I'm here to remind you, if you already know this, that the odds are stacked in your favor. That's the bottom line. You ought to walk with a smile on a day like today. People always crazy. You know, they're always like, well, wait. You know, before, in the summertime, they were reminding me of the snow. Right? Snow's coming. Wait, pastor. Well, the snow is here now. And I'm reminding you of spring. It's March 20th. It's coming. It's almost 60 days away. Just over 60 days away. How's that? 
And then when springtime comes, I'm going to remind you of summer. And when summertime comes, I'm going to talk about how beautiful the leaves are in northeast Ohio. And then when the fall comes and winter's about to come, I'm going to talk about having a white Christmas. And then when January comes, I'll suffer with you for six more weeks until we get to March again. And guess what? If that bothers you, you ought to talk to Jesus. The odds are stacked in our favor. Our mentality has to be, if God is for us, who can be against us? Even when it seems like the odds are stacked against you. No, the odds are stacked in your favor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though the craziness of life can get to you. No, it is stacked and it's a setup for God's miracle. See, God plus one is a majority. God is for you every day, in every way, and that anchors my expectation. See, all I need to know is that God is with me, and God is for me. See, the circumstances of one chapter of your life doesn't determine the end of your story. It doesn't. The circumstances of one week doesn't determine my entire month. The circumstances of a few months doesn't determine the months that God has come through for me. How easy we forget the victory and how easy we remember the defeats. We are to remember that we serve a victorious God. Number four, a declaration to make, and y'all better get excited on this one, that there's miracles waiting in your proclamations. Some of you guys, even now, You're like, well, that's good, Pastor. That's for your personality. That's for where you came from. You haven't suffered for 30 plus years in Cleveland for you to be happy about the snow. Well, I'll see you in 30 years and see what's up. Because the God I serve operates outside of the weather, folks. He don't care about the... The atmosphere of your life because the presence of God can change the atmosphere of your life. The peace of God can change the atmosphere of your life. God can do something so supernatural in your atmosphere, it could be crazy. And God can do something and get you to your destination. Acts chapter 27 verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He says, for the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. You're talking about a powerful proclamation. You're in the middle of a ship that's breaking. They had to get ropes and tie around it so it would be held together. They're throwing lifeboats off. They're throwing stuff off. They're just enjoying the fact that they're eating their last meal. And you have the guts to go ahead and make the proclamation that not only are we going to survive, that not a single hair on your head is going to be gone. That's the power of faith. That's the power of expectations that's aligned with who God is. That is the power of sanctified expectations. 
that your testimony is a powerful thing. Revelation 12, 11 says this, they triumphed over the enemy by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Someone ought to get up. Open your mouth and begin to testify of God's goodness and say, God, you have been so good. You've been so good to me. Your mercies and your kindness and your goodness and your direction. God has been so good. You've been so faithful to me. I know I'm getting rowdy. I told you I was waiting all week for this message. I got a switch. It's called Pentecostal. When I hit that switch, something goes off inside of me. But you know what? Even more than that, what it is? It is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God. See, expectations have to rise, and they rise when we speak out. You want to know why? Because it reminds us of who God is and what God has done. Revelations 19.10 says, Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. There ought to be prophetic words in our midst. And I know there is. Y'all just waiting for me to say okay to it. Just don't do more than three. Because the Bible teaches so. We ought to align ourselves with the Spirit of God, and say to Him, God, I will speak forth what you're doing in my life. See, Paul didn't just keep it to himself. He said, not a single hair. Come on. Look at your kitchen sink. Look at your bathroom sink. Look at your shower after you take a shower. What are the chances of that not happening? Come on. That is living like you ought to.